Right Place, Right Time A Sandman Podfic Written by Sherwood Fox And read by Literarian Epilogue The day was overcast but warm the heavy blanket of clouds promising a distant rain. Hop lay back on the red-checkered picnic blanket, looking up at the slow thrashing leaves of the oak tree above. There were children playing a ways down the path. They had brought with them a tremendous red kite, perhaps hoping the wind would take it to yet unseen heights. The air carried the sound of their laughter. Hop was full of good food and a healthy amount of wine. He was in no pain, and for discomfort he only felt the itch of a mosquito bite on one ankle, which was nothing. This was, as he often found himself thinking, very much like how he used to imagine heaven. There, there. A dozen or so pigeons and doves cooed excitedly around the blanket, flapping their wings and strutting back and forth in their eagerness for a treat. There's enough for all of you. Dream knelt at Hop's side, dressed in a simple black shirt and slacks. The ruby tucked away on a cord about his neck. His white hands held out palmfuls of sunflower seeds, from which the birds plucked happily. To think, Hob was here now. This was happening. His life had somehow, impossibly, miraculously, arranged itself just for him to experience this perfect moment. Of all the things he could have been, all the ways his centuries could have gone, this instant was his, and he wouldn't trade it for the world. The right place, the right time. Hop didn't think he'd ever get tired of living. Sunday afternoon, and there wasn't much on the mind of the immortal Hop Gatling. He was in his flat above the new inn, entering the test scores for his students on the class web page. Something he should have done earlier in the week, but, well... And he didn't mind too much. The weather outside was black with an early spring thunderstorm, so he wasn't missing out on a nice day. Cooped up was the better place to be in London at such a time. No, Hop did not envy the poor buggers trying to do errands in such weather. Getting up on seven centuries of life now, and he never stopped appreciating the value of creature comforts. A mug of tea, soft music playing through the Bluetooth speaker, a bit of work to keep his hands busy. The thunder outside boomed especially loud, and the music warbled like a scratched disc, then shut off completely. The lights flickered, turning the shadows sharp, and then, with the high whine of electric overcharge, they died completely. Power outage. Bloody hell, Hop said to the quiet of his apartment. The dim ambient light from the thundering clouds was now the brightest thing in the room, after the blue glow of his computer screen, which was telling him quite firmly that it was no longer connected to a power source or, for that matter, the internet. So much for that afternoon plan, then. Hop moved the computer from his lap to the coffee table. And then he saw it. A motion. 
there was a shadow gliding across the floor. A shadow with no apparent source. The room was suddenly growing cold, and far faster than the outage could account for. Indeed, it was suddenly cold enough for Hobbs' next breath to form in the air before his face. The darkness of the room grew deeper. All the shadows were moving, reaching out from their nooks and crannies like living things, hungry to pull more of the world into their depths. The storm outside had not abated. Indeed, it only grew more ferocious. The rain lashed at the windows like it wished to break the glass, and the thunder boomed in one long, continuous roar, a sound that could have come from the mouth of a tremendous, world-ending beast, a star-swallower like in the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Arrogant, overstepping little insects. A wall of darkness with two pinpricks of light, the barely consolidated form of slender human limbs and raven wings. Usurpers, daring to sully what they should rightfully worship, daring to touch. Hello, nightmare. Hop murmured under his breath, the words drowned out by another deafening boom of thunder. Dream's white hands were curled into claws, fingers contorted as though they itched to throttle someone. His fangs were bared, the fangs Hop knew only appeared when he was especially angry. And Hop saw he was shaking with it this time. A rage so hot it was bringing the lightning down outside. Clutching filth, a stain that has outgrown its lowly place. Hop stood slowly. Dream didn't seem to be talking to him. The king paced the circle of Hop's living room floor, spitting whispers that sounded like poison, sharp enough to cut. In his wake, the shadows in the room twisted and writhed, whether in anguish or ecstasy, Hop couldn't tell. The whole room had begun to smell of something burned, of blackened desert. The ruby on Dream's chest gleamed like a malignant eye. Hey, honey, Hop said, approaching with his hands raised, the way another might confront a hostile animal. What's the matter? He made the mistake of stepping on the edge of Dream's cloak, which felt like the shell of a razor clam under his socked foot. Dream whipped around with a terrible hiss, and Hop stumbled back, letting out a little yelp, surprised to find he hadn't cut himself. Humans have crawled above their station, Dream spat, pointing an accusing finger at Hop's chest. Thinking the world is owed to them, that they can take anything they want. The paragon of selfishness, of depraved, degenerate insolence. Whoa, whoa, easy there. Dream had never heard Hop before. Not physically, not in any world, but he looked almost on the verge of violence now, as though at the slightest provocation those fangs might sink into Hobbs' throat. Those claws tear across his face. Slice his skin open with all those beautiful black feathers. A reminder, if his words weren't enough, that this creature Hob loved was not human at all. I'm human too, remember? Look. No, 
I won't stand for it. Not anymore. Yeah, it's our nature to always reach for more and to make mistakes. Silence! I won't have it. Dream looked like he was going to catch fire. Like he might hurt Hop, sure, but also very much like he might hurt himself. That thought was enough to put some bravery back in Hop's chest, and so he reached out to catch Dream by those thin white wrists, forcing him to stop his frantic pacing, forcing those starfire eyes to meet his. Not the position he had expected to find himself in today, preaching a defense of the human race to an insanely powerful and clearly bloodthirsty god. But we always learn, don't we? Release me. There was definitely murder written across that sharp face. Not till you settle down, baby. Release me. Tell me what's wrong. They raped her. Dream jerked back in Hop's grip, freeing himself with ease and knocking Hop to the floor in the process. He whirled around in the writhe of darkness that had grown around him, and, as Hop had feared, the claws came up to his own head, tearing at the feathers there, gouging across his scalp and down his neck. They locked her away in a cage and they raped her, took what they wanted like it belonged to them. The scream devolved into words no longer recognisable as English. Hop thought it might, in fact, be Greek. He forced himself back to his feet and approached again, catching those contorted fingers before they could do any more damage, pulling Dream to his chest. Even like this, powerful and at his most enraged, Dream's physical form weighed little more than a bird. Hey, easy, hey there. Hop pressed Dream's head to his shoulder and heard angry jaws slice shut near the skin of his throat. Yikes, that was a close one. Well, there was nothing for it. It's all right. It's all right now, love. No, it isn't. The words came out nearly a sob. Dream stopped thrashing in his arms, stopped straining back against his grip, and it was with no small amount of relief that Hop felt his companion's rigid figure begin to melt against him. Hop knelt slowly, bringing Dream down to the floor with him. The wind and thunder were settling outside, though not the rain, which poured straight down from the sky in an expression of unextinguished misery. What happened? Hop murmured to Dream's ear, letting his restraining grip shift into a comforting embrace. Tell me, who? Calliope. A name that sounded like music, but Hop didn't recognize it. In Dream's sharp mouth, the word was tender. Calliope, okay, and someone... she was imprisoned? Hop didn't want to say it didn't want to echo back that unclean, dreaded verb. Perhaps that was cowardice. By conceited human men, Erasmus Fry, Richard Maddock, Roderick Pages. The last name was a whisper. 
Graham twitched in his arms, clawed fingers grabbing a handful of Hobbs' shirt. Something terrible settled in Hobbs' stomach, a suspicion he hadn't entertained before. Too horrible to even contemplate. Their punishment will be eternal. Okay, it's okay, sweetheart. Graham's edges seemed to have softened some, so Hop thought it safe to bring a hand up to his hair, to stroke him soothingly there. Hop could hear his breathing, high and fast in his chest, too much, both these things to sound comfortable. Slowly, Graham's tearing grip on his clothes began to lessen. I didn't even know. For the longest time, I didn't. It's all right. It's not your fault. Hop would say anything to settle him, but this was surely true. We haven't spoken, not since... since we were married... Ah, where is she now? Graham let out a shuddering sigh. Free. Good, Hop said, and he pressed a kiss to Dream's cool forehead. That's good. Hop felt otherworldly eyes on him a gaze that prickled against his skin like fire. He smoothed the palm down Graham's hair again, and in it he was unable to find any wounds from the fit. Either they had healed already, or they had never existed. Graham's breathing was still too fast. Hop could feel it against his own chest, that shuddering breathing that reminded him of how Dream had been only once before, when Hop had freed him from the glass prison. One of those three names. Hop Gatling. Yeah? Hop woke with a start on the couch and nearly dropped his laptop. He caught it just in time and looked around himself, surprised to find all the lights in the apartment on, the pleasant music still playing on the speaker. Google was open to the class notes page, the last submission asking for his confirmation. He could only have dozed off for an instant. The storm outside the window looked positively tame compared to the one in his dream. If it had been his dream. Ever since the 1920s, whose dream Hop was dreaming at any given time had become a little unclear. Hop clicked the accept button on the web page and then put the screen on his laptop down, looking around the room. Of course, nothing was amiss. Nothing was any different from how he remembered it. Dream, are you still here, love? But he received no reply. Hop waited in the quiet for a moment more, and when nothing stirred, he opened his laptop again. On Google, he opened a new tab and into the search bar he typed the word Calliope. A keyboard musical instrument resembling an organ and consisting of a series of whistles sounded by steam or compressed air. Or the Greek muse of heroic poetry. Of this latter figure there was a picture, a painting by some Renaissance artist. A beautiful young woman with flowing curls of brown hair. She wore a white robe and carried a book. Hop selected the Images tab. 
those that weren't of an instrument were all similar. A woman with a book, or more commonly, a scroll. Sometimes she had a pen. In most pictures she wore a simple golden crown. Always lovely, always austere. Most certainly rare. Hob opened the Wikipedia article. Yes, his students were forbidden from using it as a source. And there wasn't much. It said Calliope was the youngest muse, presiding over eloquence and poetry. The reportedly divine inspiration for some of history's greatest poets. Homer, Virgil, Ovid, Hesiod. Children, declared one tab in clean blue letters, catching Hobbes' eye. Linus and Orpheus, by either Oniris or King Oecrus of Thrace. Oniris. Hobbes' cursor hovered over the name. Strange that so many years had passed since the advent of the internet and he'd never thought to search for this before. But the cursor, as if of its own volition, drifted slowly to the left and clicked on the link to Orpheus instead. And so Hop read that story. After a while, he set aside the laptop and went to the window to watch the storm. He wasn't sure what he felt, having acquired this new information. Perhaps a little guilty. His friend had been ever so secretive. It felt wrong to discover such a thing without it coming from those white lips. There was a hollowness too, an empathy that felt like a strike against a clay good, an echo of his own old grief. Hop knew very well the pain of losing a child. The storm outside seemed to be settling down, just in time to see the sunset. Hop returned to the laptop and this time he searched for human names. Erasmus Fry and Richard Maddock. For the first, he found only a list of works and an obituary. A moderately successful author, dead two years since. For the second, the first result was an online Guardian article published the morning previous. It said that the highly esteemed and best-selling novelist Rick Maddock had suffered a severe mental breakdown during a lecture and had consequently been transferred to a private mental hospital. Hop's fingertips felt cold on the keyboard. Eternal punishment. He exited out of all the tabs not related to work and when this was done, he powered down the computer for the evening. That was enough of the forbidden fruit for him. The darkness was wet and flat, man-made. Hop breathed in the mildewed air of the dungeon. He could hear the water of the moat churning, slopping faintly against its stone walls. There came a gurgle from some far-off grate. Other than this, the silence of the room was oppressive. It ground on Hop's ear like a millstone. In the centre of the room, there was a glass ball. Hop approached his own footsteps making no sound. The light inside the cage was almost blinding, obscuring what lay within until he was right beside it, but there were no surprises here. Dream, Hop tried to say, but though his mouth formed the word, his voice made no sound. 
Dream, dream. Dream sat in the center of the cage, cold, white, and curled against the world. All the angles of his limbs hostile. He did not turn to see Hob. His stillness was so complete it looked agonized. Dream. Oh, that's right. This was a dream. Hob pulled his fist back and struck the glass. Such a thing would have broken his bones in the waking world, but this was not the waking world. Yes, Hob was by now a practiced lucid dreamer. Instantly and painlessly, the glass shattered. But it did not fall to the ground. Instead, remaining suspended like an astronaut's things in space. Hob pushed his way through the floating glass and found Dream curled on the floor still, now covered in his thin black cloak, head bent to examine something Hob could not see. Dream, he tried again, and this time his voice worked as intended. Dream, love, I'm sorry. There came no response. But I would never do this to you. You know that, right? Hob approached and put a gentle hand on Dream's shoulder. We are not all like them, those men. I mean, too many of us are, but not all. Not most. Hop knelt, his hand shifting to run down the line of Dream's elegant spine. Still, his companion's gaze turned down, fixated by the thing he cradled in his lap. Hop looked. It was a broken liar. Oh, Dream. Hop woke with a start to the sound of his alarm clock. It was Monday morning. He had a class to attend in an hour's time. Oh, fuck me, Hop groaned, rolling over in bed to shut off the sound. Once quiet fell, he seriously considered going back to sleep. He didn't want to leave Dream alone, not given his current state. Though, of course, there was no guarantee at all that he would be able to find Dream again, even if he did fall back asleep. No amount of self-imposed lucid dream training could ever compare to the king of dreams and nightmares. A creature who, Hop had long learned, tended to hide himself away in dark places when he was in pain. And getting a sub this last minute would be trouble for Linda, the school secretary. And he had a meeting to attend with Jenny's parents regarding her recent drop in performance. And so, well, I'll be back tonight, love, Hop said to the empty air. Perhaps to the alarm clock. I hope you'll be up for talking then. Or whatever. A month passed in which Hop had no dreams beyond the ordinary. Dreams about work, or about work he used to do in the past or about wandering downtown London in his underwear, unsure of how he'd come to be there and unable to find his way home. Hop had a mind to ask Dream about that one. He'd been having it since the 14th century. A month was not so very long, Hop knew, not in the scope of his life and certainly not in that of Dream. Even since their relationship had become closer, 
to wait a month or more between otherworldly appearances was hardly abnormal. Still, Hop couldn't help but worry a little. Sunday afternoon again. The day was warm and bright, almost idyllic, all the trees budding in promise of the coming summer. Hop was behind on work again. When was he not? But the day was too pleasant to waste away indoors, so he took his stack of ungraded papers to the park and set up shop on a picnic bench under a tree. He was not the only one in the park by far. Plenty of families were out walking, children and little white dogs, balls being kicked and laughter drifting across the grass. The sounds of humanity at their best. Hop found nothing more comforting. He ruefully crossed out one student's misnamed queen with a red pen and then realized suddenly that he was not alone. He looked up. A young woman stood before his picnic bench, and though Hop was certain he had never seen her before, something in him recognized her still. She had very long, flowing brown hair, kept back by a plain yellow headband, and wore a simple white summer dress. She was undoubtedly very beautiful. When she saw him looking, she smiled. A quiet, almost sad smile. Are you writing something, Robert Gatling? She asked, in a voice that sounded almost like song. Accented. Hop floundered a moment. Sitting before her felt rather like being bathed in a ray of the purest sunlight. Uh, oh. No, I'm a teacher. These are my students' papers. He waggled his red pen in the air, and then the words she had spoken actually landed. At the moment, after all, he was supposed to be Richard Gatson, or Dick, to his colleagues and certain recalcitrant students. But you know my name. Not necessarily a good sign, that. Hop gave her a shrewd look, and the woman smiled again, apologetically this time. Hop didn't think she looked malicious. Not that that meant anything. Again, he wondered why he felt he recognized her, the way one recognizes actors from one film to the next or a model in different advertisements. May I sit? She asked him, gesturing to the picnic table. By all means. The stranger sat, picking up one of the corrected pages as she did so, and her eyes crinkled in amusement at the first few lines. Really stunningly beautiful a beauty that was soft and warm. Hop, of course, tended to find himself preferring beauties that were sharp and cold. You teach history? she asked with clear amusement, and Hop nodded. <laughs> that is a good occupation for an immortal. I see you know a fair bit about me, Hop said crying for jovial. Shouldn't I get to know something about you? As though that logic had ever applied to otherworldly beings, but... Oh, I'm sorry, said the woman, her eyes widening. I do not wish to be rude. My name is Calliope. I am a goddess. And that was where he recognized her from. The paintings that came up on her Google search, many clearly a good likeness. Hop noticed the slight defensiveness in her tone at that last declaration, 
and so he inclined his head as he held out his hand for her to shake. A knight's deference. Well, it's good to meet you, he said honestly. And my name is Hob. Only my father ever called me Robert. And, well, he's long gone. Hob. Calliope echoed with another smile. And she took his offered hand once with dainty grace. So... Hob wasn't sure how to broach this one, or even if he should. Are you... All right? I mean, how are you holding up? The smile faded, and Calliope's eyes went wide. Oops. Poking the all-powerful bears, Hopgadling, you just can't help yourself, can you? Sorry, he told me what happened, is all. Calliope shook her head, still wide-eyed, watching him as though he were some rare and marvellous creature she had encountered by chance in an enchanted forest. Which was strange, given that the opposite should be more true. Between the two of them, he was the ordinary man. Oniris confides in you, Calliope said wondrously. That is... Shocking? Rare. Hop dropped the self-deprecating grin, shuffling his shoulders a little self-consciously. Well, not really. He didn't tell me his name until, well, just about a hundred years ago now. Calliope shook her head. But she was smiling again, another blindingly warm smile. But he told you, and he confides in you. That is not nothing, Hobgadling. When I had him, when Olympus was at its most powerful, he was unparalleled in his arrogance and in his cruelty. But you loved him anyway. No sense in pretending he wasn't curious about that. I do she said with a fine shrug. Though at times his wickedness was unsavoury, but... And now something in her smile surprised him. It curled at her lips knowingly, almost salaciously, and Hop felt his own eyebrows rising towards his hairline. He is very beautiful, is he not? Ah, uh, yep. No sense arguing with that one. Calliope chuckled and looked out across the park. The mirth on her face faded slightly. Hop thought something about it became faintly sad. Whatever she was thinking of, Hop might guess but did not ask. Even his uncautious prying had its limits. I wanted to meet you, Calliope continued after a moment. To see what kind of man you were. See if a human could have truly affected him so. Affected? Calliope smiled again. Oniris is much changed, she murmured. Hop thought about what she'd said. Unparalleled cruelty. Well, for better or for worse, Hop had to know. For better, I think. Calliope stood then, brushing her skirt down. She turned her head towards the laughing children, that warm smile playing on her lips anew. He is sensitive, even if he would prefer not to be, she said. So please take care of him for me, our sweet dream. Of course, Hop agreed, 
the answer obvious. But before the second word could even pass his lips, Calliope was gone. There had been no light, no smoke or bang. She had vanished into the air, as though she had never been there at all. Hop stared at the place where she had stood and realized she had never answered his question. She hadn't said if she was all right. Hop watched the children play for a few minutes and then returned to his work. Monday. The sun was setting when Hop finished up in the classroom. The students had all long gone home, of course, but he had a few meetings and an assignment to write up. He had just zipped up his bag when he was greeted by an unexpected visitor. The second in so many days. A long-furred black cat had jumped gracefully onto his desk and now stalked across it, bottle brush tail held high as it wound about his papers and trinkets. It meowed plaintively, a high and tiny sound, and so Hob held out a hand for it to sniff. Why, hello there, Hob said to it cheerfully. Where did you come from, pretty kitty? The cat seemed to have approved of him, and so he ran a hand through its silky fur, winning the prize of a low, rumbling purr. Did Sykes leave the door open? Sykes being the school janitor. Hop checked the cat for a collar, but it had none. It didn't look like a stray to him, though, the long fur was too well maintained. Moreover, it was far too friendly to be feral the way it rubbed back against his hand, almost demanding to be pet. Are you lost? Is that it, huh? Poor little kitty, poor kitty kitty. The cat looked up at him and Hop saw that it had blue eyes with stars in their pupils. Uh, oh! Hop froze, unsure of what to do. This was an unprecedented occurrence. The cat butt its head insistently into the palm of his hand, and slowly he started to pat it again, scratching under its chin and behind its ears. The purr started up even more vigorously, vibrating under Hobbs' fingers. You like this? All right then. Hob pet the cat a moment more, not sure if he dared stop, until the tail flicked dismissively under his chin and it jumped down from the desk, stalking towards the door. Long resigned to his fate, Hop finished packing his bag and followed it. The cat wound through the shadows ahead of him, pausing occasionally to sniff at something on the floor or air. It didn't behave like a human at all. Nor did it speak, though Hop had every reason to expect it to. As they passed the still-lit main office, Hop raised his hand to the secretary. Good night, Linda. See you tomorrow, Dick. Oh. The explanation for her sudden excitement was obvious. A beautiful black cat was winding its way about Hop's legs. Linda was an elderly woman and owned three cats herself. Hop had frequently been reminded of their names, habits and appearances during breaks in the staff room. Who's that? Linda cooed, approaching from around the desk with her hands on her knees. The black cat looked at her with what was clearly deep disapproval. Yes, Hob would recognize that expression anywhere, 
on any creature's face. Uh, oh, he, uh, he's... Hop floundered a moment, and in that time, Linda came closer and the disapproving gaze turned to him. He's mine, and he doesn't really like being touched. Not good with strangers. The cat reinforced the statement by curling closer to Hop's legs and hissing, bearing long and delicate white fangs. Could it be? Yes, Hop had seen those fangs before, on Nightmare. Ooh, he's a rescue, is he? Linda sighed in a tone of utmost understanding. Hop laughed out loud. <laughs> yeah, something like that, he agreed. Was he not? What's his name? Uh, Hop looked down at the cat, who meowed once, like in complaint. His name is King. Oh, that's perfect said Linda with relish. You certainly look like a little king, don't you, king? Yeah, well, Hop shrugged. How had he arrived in this predicament again? Something about boasting in a tavern. We'd best be getting home. Of course, of course. See you in the morning. You know, everyone's going to want pictures of you when I get in tomorrow, Hop said to the cat once they were safely in the parking lot. He was ignored, the cat simply trotting up to his car and waiting by the driver's side door, sniffing curiously along the tyre. Once Hop got it unlocked, the cat jumped immediately into the passenger seat, examined a chip that had been lost from Hop's lunch, and then ate it, crunching away with those sharp teeth. You really are a cat like this, Hop said to it, amused. You know, usually I have you pegged as a bird. The only response he received was a haughty look. That much he was certainly used to. Once Hop had started driving, the cat crossed over the cup holders and curled into the warmth of Hop's lap. It was small and light enough that it didn't disturb his driving at all. But he did notice that its pelt gave off no animal heat. If there had been any lingering doubts in his mind about who, or rather what, this was, they faded then. I saw your ex the other day, Hop said quietly. She was really nice, honestly. There came no response, verbal or otherwise. You know... Hop struggled for a moment in the red of a stoplight, chewing on his words. You can tell me anything, right? Silence. The cat was so still it didn't even seem to be breathing anymore. Hop thought of all the worst things he had suspected, and then pushed the thoughts away. You don't have to, not if you don't want, but... Here, Hop chanced taking a hand from the steering wheel to rub comfortingly at the ruff of the cat's neck. I'm always here, if you need to talk. A pause. Then, as though a switch had been flipped, the purring started up again. Okay, okay. Hop pet the cats until they reached the new inn, and there it hopped from his lap to lead him up the stairs to his flat. Inside, the apartment was dark. Hop closed the door behind himself, and in that instant the black cat was a cat no more, 
instead a pale and beautiful man who pushed Hob against the wall and kissed his cheek, his throat, his mouth. Whoa there, Hob gasped, and Dream pressed his face into the hollow between Hob's neck and shoulder. Hob's hand ran down his bare back. Nope, no clothing at all. He hadn't even bothered with the conceit of modesty. Perhaps he had forgotten he no longer had fur. What's gotten into you? The cold, Graham whispered, and something in his voice sounded too honest, too desperate for Hop not to see it. This wasn't an entirely light-hearted social call. Something in Hop's heart twinged, just as it warmed. There was a tenderness beneath the worry. Sensitive, she had called him. Hop knew it was true. For all their untold power and tempestuous natures, dreams could be fragile things, as lovely and delicate as spun glass. You want me to warm you up? Hop kissed Dream's forehead, cupped his sharp jaw in a palm to bring his mouth up for another. Yeah, I can do that. Dream made a sound into the kiss, low and contented in his throat. Why, it was strange Hop had never noticed it before. He purred like this, too. Sometimes I think I am made of broken glass. As though long ago, so long ago now that none can remember, I was struck by lightning and turned crystal where I stood. There are times when I touch my own skin and feel the fractals moving, each edge sharp enough to cut and thin enough to shatter. Perhaps it has already shattered. Perhaps it is already scattered on dewy stone like a bird's broken bones, receiver of the pellet of a shotgun. Anyone who walks across me will bleed. Or so I believed. I can see the cracks when I hold out my hand. In the skin, in the walls, in the sky. Nowhere is anything whole. There are only the uncountable shards, brittle and serrated and split. There must be a gravity to hold it here. Must be some central star, something to give, at the very least, the illusion of totality. The others say it is me, perhaps. But on earth there is an art called Kintsugi. Broken pottery returned to shape with molten gold. The people who practice it dream of castles reborn this way. They dream of old lovers and ill-treated hearts with veins of platinum ore, stitching together that which was lost and wounded. A world defined by their work, yes, 
That is what they dream of. What everyone dreams of. I would know. In his arms, I find myself thinking of this art. I think of warm hands pressed gently against lifeless stone. Human fingerprints left behind. That which should be an insult, but for some reason has become a comfort instead. Be careful, I want to say. Don't cut yourself. But the words never quite fully form. I wonder, then, how it is he still knows where all the edges are. Not all the edges. I have made him bleed before, red copper and hot anguish on the rock. Yes, I did make him bleed, at least once, but far less than could be expected. It would be unbearable responsibility for one man to piece together all this ruptured, lifeless pottery, regardless of how warm he is, no matter how patient, how skilled a goldsmith. It is not a task meant for humans. Not a task meant for any one entity. Indeed, I doubt it is a task meant to be completed at all. For broken glass, when broken over and over and over again, becomes sand. I have a function. I still think of it when he kisses me. When I hear him sigh, I feel I am brushed with powdered gold. Like I am a small thing with little weight, cupped sweetly in his palms, held up to the light for examination. A treasure. Is that how he sees me? A treasure? Love, baby, honey, sweetheart, pet, love. He is spent and he holds me. These words whispered to my ear, and though I can feel him beginning to drift, I do not, for once, usher him to my kingdom. It is afternoon in this place, and all the city is quiet. Siesta. The air that ripples those gauzy white curtains is warm. Of course, he's warmer. I am encased in his arms. I know he finds me cold to the touch, but he does not pull away. Even in sleep. When a human body should respond only to instinct, I should be frightening to him. My nature should cause him discomfort. But he does not pull away. So peaceful. I never see them like this. I am always waiting on the other side. Was this what you wanted me to learn, sister?
I think of dreams of celestial engineers, of science fiction writers, those whose thoughts birth technologies beyond what humans can yet muster. There is an image that comes to mind, the Dyson Sphere, a human metropolis that embraces a star. I will have him dream of this tonight. Perhaps he will understand. But I have duties to attend to. I begin to rise. I begin to lose my form, the shape he so easily calls beautiful. And in the instant he is awake again, or at least nearly, and he clings to me without caution. Beware, I almost say. But still, somehow, nothing pierces him. He holds me, and he remains undamaged. Where you... No, don't go, love. I must. Not yet. Please, just stay a bit, honey. He makes such a sound when I return to him. I do not know that I myself am capable of feeling that kind of joy. That kind of perfect unfettered contentment. Stay a bit, yeah, yeah. I wrap my arms around him and his face rests in the hollow of my throat, the throat of this form where there is no artery to pulse. But I can feel his heart beating. A heart that has beat triple what it ought to, and triple, and triple again. It is like a drum against my chest, his breath the waves of a minute ocean. He is alive. He is so Utterly, completely, alive. I dream you a great city, I tell him, a murmur in his ear. Built to cradle a star. He is nearly asleep again. The sweat on his skin has settled and cooled. All his muscles turn soft. I can feel his smile pressed to my collarbone. So very human. I love you too, pet. Love you too. And I cannot help it though it goes against my design, my nature, I cannot stop it. I know I am still fractured edges, mineral instead of flesh, still endless, and yet it happens anyway. I feel so happy when he tells me this. The End That was tough on my voice, but never mind. I hope that was as gorgeous as I imagine it being. Anyway, thank you for listening and enjoy some commentary and bloopers from making this pod. 
And when they reached the mope, even see it. Perfect blue sky. And I only hear the noise. Dream had always seemed such a solitary entity. The only thing of his nature that Hop had ever encountered. Didn't he meet death when he met Dream for the first time? Never mind. Hop said to the black-furred wolf that black-furred wolf that ble They locked her away in a cage and they raped her, took what they wanted like it belonged to them. This is supposed to be a scream, but I can't scream in dream. It just doesn't work. It's not how he speaks. The more angry he gets, the more silent he gets. Hop opened the Wikipedia article. Yes, his students were forbidden from using it as a source. And it's not actually forbidden, just won't quote it. It's good to get a first overview and often it actually has good citations that you can then go back to. Also, if you use Google for anything on a UK university involving student data, you get into Hell's Kitchen because that's not GDPR compliant. But I won't go there right now. This is not one of my lectures. 